Hey now, welcome everybody. Today's episode courtesy of True Niagen. Go to drdrew.com slash True Niagen. Use the word Drew at checkout to get a discount on three bottles right now. I think Christina P, I meant to get her hooked up on this today. She's very interested in that. We're going to have a return guest in just a minute. Uh, Alex Berenson, former New York Times reporter, author of the new book, Unreported Truths About COVID-19 and Lockdowns, which was uh, censored on Amazon until Elon Musk spoke up about it. And magically, he was uh, put back on the list. Uh, after we talk to Alex, we're going to bring in Dr. Adolph Brown in here. He's a psychologist and university professor, 30 years of experience studying racism. We're going to get in very, very deep. Our laws as it pertains to substances are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD, love addiction, fentanyl and heroin, ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell you think I learned that? You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. You have trouble, you can't stop and you want help stop it. I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. First, I want to go in with Alex. Uh, Alex, welcome back. Thanks for having me out last. Last week, the book was censored. Now there's a pirated copy on Apple. It's, as somebody said, welcome to the wonderful world of self-publishing. Exactly. This is stuff I, I have not had to deal with when I have Random House or, you know, Putnam or Simon Schuster helping me out here. Exactly. And and people, just so they understand what's in the unreported truth, it's you're just chronicling what happened, what people said was happening in the press, and what actually had happened? Wouldn't that be about the way to? Uh, you're, just, you're just reporting the facts, right? I, I mean, I, I would I would say part one is even simpler than that. So this is as as, we, as you know as we talked about. This is going to be a multi part series. And in fact, I got to get back to writing it very soon. Um, but the first part is literally just sort of an introduction to um, you know how I, as a former uh, Times reporter and uh, you know author of a couple of nonfiction books, got involved and got interested in, you know, the issues around COVID-19. Obviously, we're all interested in COVID-19, but how I started to question some of um, the modeling and the, you know, and the estimates of hospitalizations and stuff like that. And then it's the, and then the second part of part one is very simple. It's just, here's what, here's how many people have died from this. Here's what we know about those people in terms of their age and their sicknesses. Here's a worst-case estimate for what might happen. And, um, and you know, here's here's some numbers to help put this in context. It's very, very fact-driven. And, in fact, I heard from an epidemiologist, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, and he said, he said, I thought this was going to be much more saber-rattling and much more controversial. All you're doing is giving people, the, you know, the most basic facts that the media has not given them. Um, and part two is going to be a little bit, I would say, more controversial, because that's going to take on the issue of lockdown. Um, and whether or not they actually do any good, and how this spreads, and what we know about that, and so that to me is that you know there there's more scientific debate around that, right. but around the issue of death, there's there's almost no debate at all. We just we know who is dying from this. It's just that it's very it's it's not really reported. That's right. I mean, that's all I tried to do at the beginning of the epidemic was try to reduce the flames of uh, panic that were flying, and I was excoriated for daring to be optimistic. And just daring and daring to try to help people regulate their emotions. I mean, I kept saying, I kept saying two things. I kept saying, look, in 2009, 500,000 people died of H1N1. You don't even know that happened. And so kind of regulate yourself, right? And then, 
uh, and listen to the CDC and listen to Fauci. They'll get us through this. But calm down. You know, I never saw the CDC recommend lockdown. Did they ever actually recommend lockdown? That was something the governors did on their own, correct? Well, it's a little bit trickier than that, right? If you look at some of the stuff that Fauci and Burke said uh, back in March and April, they, they, you know, there's a little bit of trying to have it both ways. I mean, my main focus has been on the media because, to me, the media hysteria has led all of this, including Fauci and Burke. But I don't think you can give Fauci and Burke a clean pass on this. Um, I, you know, it, you can you know you can find that that infamous quote where I think it was Burke, but I think Fauci seconded it, saying, "Well, this will be a bit of an inconvenience." And it's like this is not an inconvenience. We are we are shutting down our society. Yeah. Um, uh, that was you know that was back at the end of March. So so uh, you know, and even now the CDC. I mean, it's interesting. It's almost like it's almost a little bit of Jack on Hyde. One day they come out with something that you know, sort of very uh, tempered, and then the next day they say, you know, wear your mask when you're eating, which I don't I don't quite know how that works. I don't know how that works either. Um, that doesn't seem right so, to me. <laughs> so, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I think, I, I, look, there's a, my, my point about this has also been we know a lot more now than we did three months ago, yeah. and, and, you know, a response that made sense three months ago may not make sense now, and at the same time, the media is just, I mean, you would not know to look at the stories about the second wave and the spike and, and all the stuff that's come out in the last few days, you would not know that the number of people who died yesterday was under 400. Okay, and, and it's actually much lower than that because that's the number that states reported yesterday and they are continuing to sort of backdate deaths and go back and look for deaths that might have occurred in May or in some cases even in April. Um, and 400, you know, look, there's still 400 people dying, but, but uh, that is the lowest number uh, since March. And so, so what is the media now talking about? They're talking about, you know, quote unquote spikes in cases. And I keep saying this on Twitter and I, you know, it's something I'm going to go into in, 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 in the book. A case is a positive test result. Right. Okay? It does not mean that you're going to the hospital, much no. less winding up on an ICU no, or a bed. No, 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 it doesn't no, no. even necessarily mean that you feel sick. It's a, it's a, it means that your blood has, uh, SARS-CoV-2 in it. Right. Exactly. And you may or may not be sick, even, even sick at all. So, <laughs> And by the way, one of the things that the um, the demonstrations are doing is increasing testing because people are nervous after they go out in demonstration and they're getting tested. And here in Los Angeles, they've set up testing sites at the demonstrations. I thought that was brilliant. Yes, that is. That is I mean, the, but you know, the other I think another sort of un, uh, un, or less understood part of this is we're getting better at figuring out who to test. So in other words, the states right. now do have these contact tracing protocols up and running and so you know even if you do 30,000 tests on people who are essentially random versus doing 30,000 tests on people who are living in dormitories with other people who are sick right. or who you know um, are best friends or you know or spouses with people who are sick you should have more hits Absolutely. And I, I, I just keep saying I mean I know I, I, I find myself repeating myself but you need to know who who the positive tests are with to know how dangerous the spike is because if it's 100 people in a nursing home, we have a problem. Right. If it's 100 people in college, there really isn't much of a problem. Those, those, those people have a very low um, you know, rate of serious illness from SARS-CoV-2. And you know, it's, it's funny, you say this to people, and it's like they, they, they get mad. It's like they want bad news. Right. And, and so you, you're aware that the whole notion of lockdown is something invented by a high school student, right? 
<laughs> yes. Yes, so, that famous paper, I yeah. think, it was in Arizona, right? Yeah, and it was written by her father, and he he he's a was a computer modeler. He thought, oh, this would be a good model for localized lockdowns, not national lockdown. He never imagined that, and he put her as the number two author. I've actually got the paper up here, and she is the number two author, a high school student, and that became policy you know, with the Bush administration. It What's became the paper. Yeah. And, yeah, and by the way, by the way, there's no evidence. Um, you know, the whole six feet thing. Almost all the studies that have been done, and you know, they're pretty weak. But the studies, they're all, they're all, they're all. Thank you, dude. Uh, <laughs> my son just presented me with a Hershey kit nice, for nice, my uh, nice for my work today. Nice. Um, uh, all the studies that have been done are generally, you know, it's based on three three feet, one meter distancing rather than six feet. Right. Um, you know, a three feet kind of makes more sense intuitively. I mean, you sort of imagine that a conversation usually you're two to three feet away from somebody. So, so there is so much here that you know that that, that, that is unscientific, verging on anti-scientific. Right. Uh, you know, uh, here's another great example. So the NEJM and Lancet, which, as you know, are probably the two most prestigious medical journals in the world, they both had to retract this crazy paper that essentially seems to have been based on data that, uh, you know, I don't want to say falsified because we don't know, but the, the authors will not show anybody the actual raw data, which right. makes it very hard to believe. Right. Um, and, you and, know, and, it's, and it's published. That, hang that, on, that, that, and it's published by a company that no one had ever heard of. Heard of who has five <laughs> five employees. One is a, a, a adult model, and the other is a science fiction writer. So three employees. <laughs> That's right. And two of the three authors are these terrible doctors. The third guy's a real guy, but two of the three are just absurd. And and so and, and you know, as soon as the paper came out, people said. Look, the data here, how on earth did they get hundreds of hospitals around the world to give them confidential patient data in a matter of days or, you know, or weeks? And that's a great question. So, so it, you know, the, the, it is as if in our rush to, you know, to, to find positive stories or negative stories or, you know, some kind of scientific advance around, uh, around SARS-CoV-2, we, are, we, we, are, we have lost. Uh, I don't know. We've lost moderation. No, we're hysterical. We're hysterical, and we're hysterical. We're hysterical, and the press is now become just panic porn. Uh, I'm just hearing from a reliable source that Surgisphere closed their doors today. That's the organization that published that that bogus data in Lancet about hydroxychloroquine. Now, so so given that lockdown was an invention of a high school student in 2006, people are asking. Would the numbers have been different? Now, this is an important. I want you to parse this question out very specifically. If we hadn't locked down, what what would the how could the numbers have been different? Uh, and I'm going to posit that it might have been a little more spiky, and New York needed to be shut down to just to figure out what was going on. Let's be fair, but it would have been a little more spiky. But yeah. the total number of cases and the total number of deaths would have been the same. Would that be an accurate statement? I mean, I think the truth is, at this point, we don't know, and we may never know, because we don't have a counterfactual to run. We don't have a here's, test. Here's we don't have a scientific do. study. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, here's what we do know. Nature, another top scientific journal, ran two absolutely ridiculous papers last week claiming that lockdowns in Europe had saved three million lives, which would only be possible if the based on the fatality rate that the CDC has calculated, if Europe had more than a billion people in which and and didn't uh, Doctor didn't Doctor Neil Ferguson uh, get uh, now in back into the cover the the government uh, 
what uh, what would you call it? He did. Back? He testified again and, um, and said the same so thing. Said essentially the same thing. This is the guy that has yeah, missed so, every epidemic well, in just, history. So, so there's this notion floating, around, you know, along with look at how many people were locked down safe. They would have saved even more people if we started a week earlier, which yeah. is the ultimate counterfactual. Because because it, it, if you're going to say that lockdowns work, present me some some countries that didn't lock down that did worse than countries that did lock down, and and present me when a country stopped locking down that things got worse. And right now, those two things that you would like to have if you're going to tell me that lockdowns actually worked and continue to work are very thin on the ground. So you know, in, in the states that 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 removed lockdowns first. Notably, Georgia, also Wisconsin, there has not been an increase in deaths. Now, people are talking about places like Texas and saying cases are up. But again, cases, cases, cases are not the same as hospitalization. And, and, and deaths and are so, deaths are not right. up and cases are up, but there's not clearly a trend because the Delta hasn't been established yet. So to talk about it meaningfully, you can't yet. You just can't. That's 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 right. And yet the media... It is. I mean, one of the amazing things that happened. I, I don't know if you remember this, but back in sort of late March, early April, there was the handful of states that held out and wouldn't lock down. And of course, Sweden wouldn't lock down, and Belarus wouldn't lock down. And there was enormous international pressure on those states and countries to lock down. And I said it at the time, and I'll stick with it. That's because the people who had sort of devoted, you know, putting massive public pressure to make the lockdowns happen, didn't want a counterfactual. They didn't want to know what would happen if places didn't lock down. Crazy. And I th- and I thought that was really disturbing. And so and so right now what do we know about Sweden? Sweden look, has Sweden had deaths? Yes. Of course they've had deaths. Have they had more deaths than the other Nordic countries? Yes. But have they had fewer deaths than the countries that locked down in Europe the hardest, including the UK, including France? Yes. So again, I it, and, and, the and there's a lockdown and again nobody Nobody ever said lockdown was going to save lives. Lockdown was going to flatten the curve. So the total number of deaths should That's be right. the same either way. It should be. That's right. If the curve is flat or not flat. That's, you're absolutely correct, Dr. So, so, so if, but given the damage that we know that lockdowns do, given the fact that the number of overdose deaths, for example, in British Columbia, which obviously is a terrible problem with overdose, doubled in May compared to January, um, and with the worst month in the in their history, given that you would like to know that lockdowns actually work to reduce that's COVID right. deaths, I, that's I don't right. think that's too much to ask. That's right, and we don't have that. No, we don't have that. Not even close. Not even close to having it. In fact, uh, I was studying some of the nineteen eighteen flu stuff, and the data there suggests masks work. Masks work perfectly masks stopped the outbreak if people wore masks they just didn't feel they could get everybody to wear masks here we're, we're doing it we're relatively we're pretty good at it yes um and and you know that is one and you know I, on masks i would say i because i think because i've gotten so cynical about the of the things that public health has proposed yeah. you know the establishment what they've said in the last couple of months I am probably more cynical about masks than I should be, yeah. because to me it smells like a kind of social control. Well, but again, that's the horrible thing well, about I, that's that. If it I listen, works. Alex, I've seen this song before. When governments overstate a public health position, the public stops listening. Uh, I I call it reefer madness. Whenever they go, cannabis is going to make you crazy, and it's going to you kill all you kids, and then the kids go, hey, wait, it's not so bad. Screw them. I'm never listening to anything they say. 
I, I saw this during the HIV right. thing. I've seen it and seen it and seen it. I know that's how the public re re responds to public health messages that are draconian. They just go the other way. So I'm not surprised you're saying that. I have to let you go in a second, but I want to ask one more thing. Did you see the Elmhurst uh, Hospital video from the nurse? So, so I haven't, and I'll tell you why. She, you know, she's a very, she's a very strong anti-vaxxer. She's a bit of a gadfly. Um, I've tried. So I've actually heard, you know, from not from a nurse, but from a patient, uh, not a patient, but a, someone who is in the family of a patient, not at Elmhurst, but at another New York City hospital, who is complaining to me, saying, you know, terrible things happened to me, terrible things happened to people I know in this community, which was the Orthodox Jewish community, where a lot of people did get hospitalized. And I said, look, I need evidence. I need, you know, I need proof. And uh, so far, I don't have that yet. So I can, you know, I can sort of talk about it, but I can't report it because, you know, because I don't have anything. Yeah. Um, you know, with, with this, the problem with, the problem with whistleblowers is you really have to, you have to push them to the wall and make sure that they have proof. Well, um, also, I, I can tell you, so, I, I can tell you as a physician that some of the things that she was thinking were categorically not true. And she did not understand. Right. She didn't know enough to understand the clinical circumstances she was even in. And so because she had a knowledge gap, she was filling with paranoid ideas. Now, I'm glad she spoke up. Yeah. I'm glad she's calling in things into question. But so much of what she said was extremely inaccurate in terms of what was going on in the patients she described. Very unfair. Very unfair. So I, I did listen to yeah. it, and I thought, oh, my God. So that, so I'm glad to hear you say that because we need to, you know, we need to be very careful because the media will jump on people like you and me who try to raise questions not to overstep and not to, cause you know and not to not to do anything that could undermine my credibility your credibility anybody's credibility who's on the side sort of uh, let's let's push back a little bit on this i right. think it's really smart and that's why that, you know so that's why i've avoided even watching that yeah it's, point, it's, I think listen, it's I again i appreciate what she's doing i get it blah 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 but and she brings up some really interesting ideas that we should think through honestly some of the stuff she questions that should be questioned I, I love it but for instance she has a trach patient that she's sobbing about who dies if somebody has such severe covid that they've been on a ventilator so long they needed a tracheostomy that patient's life expectancy is limited and they can she doesn't understand right. all the different physiological processes that are going on in all the other organs. That person could be dead in a second, and he was. That happens a lot. They go by cardiac death, sudden death, arrhythmias because of a viral because of an inflammatory myocarditis. What's that? Right. They're so sick. Yeah. So, so sick. she's like, oh my god, they killed him. They killed him. They killed him. It's like, no, no, no. A trach patient and COVID. That person is is on borrowed time. If they get through it all, they'll be very lucky. Then she talked about another patient I mean, that extubated himself and that he saved his life by extubating himself. No, right. she doesn't even know what happened. She wasn't in that's the ICU when it all went down. That, right. That's, that's right. Well, just one last thing on this. And you know, look, you're in you're in LA. I'm in New York. There are bad municipal hospitals in these places that at the best of times, sometimes the care is not what you would hope it would be. And Elmhurst actually is known as one of those places. So you add a flood of patients, you know, nervous nurses and doctors, you know, who, who, who don't know what they're looking at. A lot of staff coming in on locum tenens from out of town yep. who don't know each other. And, you know, is it possible that people died who, under better circumstances, wouldn't have died? Yes. Does that mean that there was an effort to kill them? No, it 
No. I, 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 I actually signed up. I signed up to be one of those doctors. They never called me in, but I, I'm sure I was on the verge of it. But, but be that as it may, um, uh, she did raise a really interesting point, is that the infrastructure of hospital bed and quality hospital programming in the city of New York may be deficient. It's a really interesting question. It yeah. certainly is in Italy, and that's why they yeah, got I mean, in trouble. Look, I mean, Maybe that's why New York got in trouble. Well, if, if, you're, you know, if you're a billionaire at Memorial Sloan Kettering or New York, that's, Crack, right. that's one thing. If that's you, right. You know, if you're at Elmhurst, it's something very different. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. All right, my friend, listen, I, I will come visit you in New York one of these days very soon, and I appreciate you stopping by here, and, and I know you spent a lovely hour with my friend Adam Carolla. How was that? I mean, you know, he, he's a little saltier than, than you are or I am, I think, but he's great. And, and this idea that, you know, that we're not allowed to go on anywhere if we go on Fox is just crazy. I mean, they, he, he was complaining about it, too, and I guess you've had this problem, too, now. Well, I get, I, I used to be on HLN, CNN, then I was drummed out, then I was, I've been doing a lot of work on homelessness before the COVID break, and Fox News was the only organization that let me come on, so I came on to talk about it. I had no, I have no allegiance to Fox, I I like the Greg Gutfeld show. I like him. I like his his um, yep. his cast, and so that's how I got involved. And then as this thing came on, I started getting a little vocal about how the press was creating hysteria. That became I'm somehow a right wing denier, vaccine denier. <laughs> and by the way, for the record, I want to get on the the human trials right now for vaccines. I can't get on fast enough. I want to be a human subject, and I, oh, these vaccines look great. I can't wait to get on one. Well, that's funny you said it because I actually just took my my, my daughter in, my youngest daughter in for uh, for her for her one year shot today. But you know what? You can be first for the Corona vaccine. Considering the risk, uh, you know what? I'm not I'm not that anxious to be to be early. In uh, that, here's uh, why: in that, two reasons uh, I am. Uh, you know, clinical trial. I, I hear two reasons I am. First of all, they're What's on that? phase three. The phase three, the phase two look great. Phase three, the biology is exquisite. I understand it. I see the risk, and it's nothing. And I'm in my 60s, so I have a real risk from COVID. So give me the vaccine. I'll, I I want to be a human subject. I want to push this thing forward. So there you go. All right. All right. Well, good enough. Let's, let's talk again soon, Dr. Drew. All right, my friend. Good to talk to you, and uh, we will talk again sometime soon. And by the way, I canceled my subscription to the New York Times. I couldn't do it fast enough. I'm, I'm just so disappointed. One of my great joys in the day was reading the New York Times, and it's just gotten – it's gone somewhere where I don't recognize it anymore. I, I hear you. I hear you. All right, my friend. Talk soon. Bye. All right. Now – why are you laughing there, Susan? I don't know. Producer he's like, Susan. what do I say now? Because he was a he was a New York Times reporter, and and guys like him can't do reporting for no, the New York he, Times anymore. Yeah, he it's, doesn't it's, want to work there anymore. Well, he has, I'm sure he'd be happy to, just like I'd be happy to go on CNN. We uh, had another just, interview with him on Dose of Dr. Drew. You can look up and see his previous interview. Well, we'll get him back. This was just a quickie because I've got uh, somebody who I've been very anxious to talk to, and I'm so delighted he is with us. Uh, this is Dr. Adolph Brown. He's a friend and colleague. What, what are you saying, Susan? I'm sorry? Oh, let's take a break. Well, let me tell you about him first. Uh, he's a university professor, 30 years of experience, mental health, social justice, diversity. He has something called the empathy gap we're going to discuss uh, and how that construct might be used in the present historical moment to make us better. 
Uh, we'll also talk about how mental health professionals can contribute to the current discussion on racism. We've got a lot of stuff to get deep into. Dr. Brown has a degree in anthropology and psychology, a uh, master's work in special education, experimental psychology, a doctorate in psychology. He's also a clinical licensed psychologist, and he did a residency and ran a residency in psychology, so he is extra well-trained. So I'm delighted to talk to him. We will after this break. About a year ago, I was introduced to True Niogen, a supplement specifically designed to boost a key cellular resource called NAD. That's short for nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. And I was really impressed with the research that showed that increased NAD levels can promote cellular repair, maintain healthy mitochondria, and increase energy throughout the trillions of cells in our body. I've been taking True Niogen ever since, and I am truly persuaded which is why I'm so excited to welcome them back to the program. Let's get into how True Niagen works. From age 40 to 60, humans can experience a 50% decline in NAD, leaving our cells with a shortage of that incredibly valuable energy resource. Additionally, things like immune stress, poor diet, even alcohol consumption can all deplete our cell NAD levels. Research suggests that increased NAD can support cellular defense against these physiological stressors. True Niagen is designed to boost NAD levels and is backed by clinical research and regulatory approvals. Now, while the research is still evolving, I am truly impressed by the possibilities surrounding NAD and the research behind True Niagen. And I suggest you check out their information for yourself. To learn more about the research, science, and to order your supply of True Niagen supplement, visit drdrew.com slash trueniagen and use the code DREW at checkout for a special discount on orders of three bottles or more. So that's my website, drdrew.com slash T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N and use the code DREW today. Thank you to our friends at True Niagen. I've been taking the product for years and I'm convinced that the NAD story is an important one. I... Whenever people say I look young, I think, well, it's that true Nigen. And Susan, I made her take it, too, because I, I do think it has advantages. I emailed the doctor today. Good. Oh, uh, we're, so what she's talking about is that we're going to bring, this is a different issue, which is NAD infusions. We're going to bring in somebody that does those infusions to talk about that. Also, don't forget this to needle destruction device. This could revolutionize needle sticks and get rid of them entirely, which are a massive source of, of, of uh, despair and a cost in our country. This, If you're a diabetic or... If you're cleaning up streets, this destroys needles and you don't have to worry about the biohazard anymore. Also, I mentioned these thermometers, everybody get them. You should be using them all the time. Whenever you go out, whenever you're around people, you can get this uh, and a UV light that will sterilize. Susan, we're, when we go to New York, we're going to have a handheld UV light to sterilize uh, car seats and train seats and that kind of thing. It's at 866 uh, 4 Red Hawk, R E D H A W K. Check that out. All right, let's bring in our guest, Dr. Adolph Brown. I can't wait to speak to him. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. So let's start with, I, we want to get into some deep stuff, but let's start with the empathy gap theory. Tell me what that is and what you think can be, how that could be used to help our current moment. Well, Dr. Drew, it has to do with attribution error, implicit bias, all the things that mental health professionals know and talk about. So, so you, you and I better step back and talk about cognitive distortions then first, because because you and I know what we're talking about. Oh. You, you, so we're talking about we're talking about cognitive that, dissonance, reasoning from conclusion, exactly. fundamental attribution error. Okay. By the way, there's a great website called You Are Not So Smart that just examines these cognitive distortions. But I'll let you speak to it. Go ahead. That's right. Okay. Well, I think most people think our brain was designed to teach us to think. When in fact, it was designed to teach us not to have to think. So the brain helps us more with efficiency than it does with correctness. So the brain categorizes things all the time. And 
it makes it easier for us to retrieve it later. So the issue becomes that we have to challenge those assumptions that the brain gives us. Basically, the brain teaches us without our permission. So if we only use what the brain gives us, if you've never met a person like me, then or have relatives like me or work with someone like me, then you're going to take your brain's information and use that to develop a, so a profile of me. And it may be incorrect and likely will be. So that's the implicit bias. The empathy gap occurs when we don't check those. When if I didn't get to know you, Dr. Drew, then it would likely I would allow my brain to tell me about you. You would do the same. There's no bridge. That's a gap. And many people are talking about gaps today. We talk about health disparities. We talk about achievement gap. But I believe that the source of that gap is empathy. When I don't put myself in your shoes, when I don't attempt to listen or understand things from your perspective, then let, let me let me throw a little no bridge. Let me throw. I couldn't agree with you more, but I want to throw a little wrench towards your theory, not into your theory necessarily, not into the gears, but near the gears, <laughs> which right is, and, and you may not agree with me. So it's a, my premise here. Uh, I since I started working in a psychiatric hospital, I noticed the axis two diagnoses rapidly shift during the eighties and nineties towards the cluster B, which is the narcissistic disorders, and one of the liabilities of narcissistic traits is difficulty with empathy are we too narcissistic to be empathic you know dr drew i, I think that's an excellent excellent uh insight i think we have uh, as a part of empathy we have to do two of the most uh humbling things that human beings can do that's self-reflection and self-correction and on the continuum of narcissism <laughs> that uh, wouldn't exist. So I, I think you're correct in, in what you're saying, but I think the good news about this is, is that empathy is a skill. Mm. So it can be taught mm -hmm. and it can be practiced. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the good news about it. And, 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 and to be fair, even within the construct I'm proposing, most people are not disordered narcissists they just we just have trended that way so even with just traits and you can overcome traits definitely yeah definitely i think many people i mean if, if you have people around you that are pretty much like you and and you don't have to go out of your way to 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 stretch and put on other people's shoes or try to understand understand other people's feelings um empathy isn't well developed so I, I think I that's get, a point for diversity. What say that again? I say that's a point to support the need for diversity. Yeah, yeah. So, so that again, uh, when people have looked at, there was a famous book in the fifties uh, called Contact, and uh, you must be familiar with this, right? And, and uh, they were looking at oh, how do, how do we get over you know biases and racism, and uh, and lo and behold, what did they find? Contact, being around people that you're not used to being around. Com completely takes away your biases or, or at least reduces your biases around the people that you're hanging out. Exactly. With. Yeah. Um, so, so let's get in deeper here. You and I talked a little bit off the phone to, on, on the phone today about what I wanted to get into and, and I'm not sure where this is going to go and I'm not hearing anybody talk about this. So I spoke to, Oh shoot, I'm forgetting his name. now. He's, he's one of the local leaders here in Los Angeles on black lives matters. 
And he kept saying to me that the police system in Los Angeles was 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 um, developed out of a system designed to track down fugitive slaves. And I, I thought, geez, I thought the LAPD was actually I, the LAPD's history is more nefarious. It actually was a vigilante group against Mexicans, as far as I knew. But I, but I kept it kept ringing in my head. He he kept talking about how seeing the the excessive, which we know for sure, statistically, black men are hassled more than than anybody else. Uh, I'm not going to get a discussion about why or wherefore or, or what conditions this happens. It happens. And his yeah. in his head, that was this system of essentially a remnant of slavery performing a function in the present moment. And I thought, wait a minute, this is what he feels about this. This isn't necessarily what this is. This is his legitimate feeling about it that comes from a trauma that we should be talking about. You, you take that initial premise and, do, and you tell me what you think about that. Definitely. I, I think there are things that happen in the present that can definitely trigger what some would call transgenerational trauma, whereby seeing uh, police brutality, seeing um, many things would be reminiscent of what happened in slavery. I think the, the gentleman's discussion of the creation of the police department, I think that goes to speak to um, basically what happened after the Reconstruction period. Well, yeah. And in Recon <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. You have at it, man. I'm with you on this. Yeah. Let's, we'll go, yeah. on. We'll go I, deep on I, this. I don't think... Yeah, I don't. I don't think many people talk about. We, no one talks about reconstruction. It. No one talks about. It. Well, no, you know who talks about it is is my black friends talk about it, and I never understood that's what they were talking about, because it isn't called that Definitely. specifically. But go go ahead, keep, keep going. Yeah. So so what happened in Reconstruction? The very first thing that happened was that you had free blacks that didn't know how to operate in society as free people, and then you had whites who didn't know how to treat or accept free blacks. Well, and, That's and, the first thing. And, and, yeah, it's the first thing. There was also a marauding <laughs> warlords. There were leftover Confederate troops that were marauding around. Definitely. I mean, they're just destroying yes. people. And Fre Frederick Douglass Definitely. has a famous statement. He said, we gave up the lash for the shotgun. And, and yes. you know, people didn't lynch slaves. I mean, that would be the, the slave owner would kill you if you did that. That's a valuable property exactly. that you, you destroyed. But after Reconstruction, that's where that started happening at, in, in just the, yes. the most disgusting, uncontrolled way ever. Well, the South felt that Reconstruction was humiliating. They felt like it was uh, a vengeful imposition and they weren't accepting of it. So much of what happened after Reconstruction, in, in some opinions, is worse, or was worse right. than the actual... At, at very minimum, it, it delivered a traumatic blow that was profound, that is a blind spot for most white people, I would argue. Uh, I, I, right. I would say that I, when I learned about it, I was... <laughs> embarrassed and shocked that I didn't know more about that. I thought I knew about that period. And when I really started reading about it, I thought, oh my God, oh my God, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It, it really yeah, is And those feelings 
for, for many of the people that were against it continue today. Right. And and when people talk about things having been 400 years ago, no, 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 no. That went on until, what, no. 1885 or something? So we're talking about... Exactly. Exactly. Know, I mean, and and that was imagine. Oh my God, I just hate to think about it. Imagine people are hunting. I mean, so when people talk about hunting your family and hunting people down, that is a a thing that happened. And so anything that looks yes. like that evokes brings that past into the present. And unless we really talk about that, I don't yeah. know how we can get forward. That, that trauma. Yeah, that trauma is real. Yeah, Doctor Drew, I have a friend that um, she she uh, heads up. Uh, a site for uh, children, black and brown children, fro babies. She posted the other day, she said, how would you like a statue erected for someone who kidnapped your children and sold them? Hey, listen to this. I, I haven't talked about this. and You'd appreciate a similar, a similar thing. Is, do you know why they don't have the death penalty in Germany? Do you know why? Oh, help me. Because they the, the the thought that they might kill another Jewish person just as an as a historical image is so profound that they just we're going to eliminate the death penalty altogether just in case a Jew gets caught into that. Think about that. Wow. Right. Oh that's, yeah, that's yeah. deep. And, and it is deep. And, <laughs> which and is here not, we don't we don't pull that history forward in the same way, right? Well, I, I think it's interesting that that's what happens in Germany, but look what happens in the U.S. with the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment freed slaves unless unless you can be enslaved if you commit a crime. How, well, how a, many I of thought us about that. that's actually read? There you go. Yeah. How many of us read? This, you, you can be enslaved. In fact, that's really what's going on in our prison system. Right. I've worked in it. I know you have experience with it. That's 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 what's happening. And 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 even when it's not, let's let's get this clear. It evokes that history just the way if a Jewish person were killed in Germany, a part of, as a result of a legitimate application of capital punishment, it evokes a history that they find inconsistent with what they want to be today. Hmm? Make sense? It does, Doctor Drew. Yeah. In fact, Doctor Drew, there are people who who postulate that PTSD post-traumatic stress disorder is actually different for black and brown populations where mm. it's post-traumatic slavery disorder. Well, it, it, and I tell me more. <laughs> I'm all ears because it makes sense to me. <laughs> well, that, that, well that, that's exactly what we're talking about. Well, and we're it's, talking about it's, the trauma. Yeah, it's intergenerational transmission of that that collective. And yes. we, need, we need language for this too. That's what's bothering me a little bit. I mean, it is, you know, the American Holocaust in a way, but I don't think the Holocaust is the right word. We we just don't really, we don't have a language for this yet that, that I think would make everybody happy. Do you? No, I, I think that we're encouraging courageous conversations with one another, and I get that. But what's your internal dialogue? I mean, that that's where we live in mental health. What do you? What's your internal dialogue? That's where it starts, Doctor Drew. As much as I want reform uh, with laws, and guess what? The White House is important, the State House, but my house and your house—that's where it starts. Right. That's right. And, and so, what do we do? You, so, you and I here we are. You and I trying to talk honestly about the history of this country, honestly about the source of the feelings that are causing distortions in the present. Um, we haven't really talked about the white people distortion because we have plenty too. 
uh, not the least of which is blind spots that we don't know we have. <laughs> we just don't seem to understand we have them. And uh, we need a language for that that isn't, isn't making people push back, you know. Um, it, it's, you know, I'll just tell you an aside. What, what uh, blew my mind uh, is the Frederick Douglass's biography, the new biography that's out. The opening chapter, I think it's even a prologue, talks about his speech at a at the the consecration of a Lincoln memorial. Did you read this biography? Yeah, yeah at the consecration of a Lincoln biography, which was very demeaning to, to African American people. Memorial. And he got up, and he's in. And let's be fair, Lincoln was a a a racist who moved away from his racist position uh, and he forged a relationship with Frederick Douglass. I would call them f- not just colleagues, but friends, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah. So this, this is the circumstance in which he gets up to give a speech about his friend, a statue about his friend. And he gets up and he excoriates Lincoln for being a white supremacist. And I thought, oh, I was shocked. I was like, oh, how dare you? My, my Abraham Lincoln, no. And then I thought, oh my God, I, I get what he's talking about. And I just devoured that book like no other because I couldn't. I wanted to know more about this guy. That that, I mean, I recommend it to everybody. Every American should read that book. Um, and I thought, wow, that that's. I don't know if that word would apply. Uh, if people could accept that word today, but he's talking about these blind spots. He's talking about looking at the world from a a perspective that prevents you from seeing others empathically. It's really back to what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'm talking about when I when you watch the news at night with all the things that are happening now with uh, the the BLM movement and and everything else. What's your internal dialogue? I mean, what are you saying? Do you, are are you dis- disparaging people for what they're doing, or or do you return and say, "I wonder what would make me respond that way"? But I think oftentimes what people do, Doctor Drew, is they say. I would never respond that way. So that's sympathy. You're over there. I'm over here. I'm glad it's not happening to me. That's sympathy, but not empathy. Exactly. Yeah. Empathy is actually being being in in your shoes, which is different. yes, and and learning to listen and ex- actually experience it. I'm trying to find this. And that guy's, takes a lot of practice. Kendrick. This guy's name is Kendrick, and I can't find. Let me see if I can find it. Um, because I don't, I don't want to uh, diminish him. And Kendrick Sampson uh, is the guy. Kendrick Sampson is the, was the BLM leader that I'm thinking of. And let's say we're talking to Kendrick, you and I. How should we get him to start to look at what he's feeling about the present moment and connecting it to the traumatic heritage? Do we do that, or, or is that no? Tell I me what to do. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, I don't think that's an issue as much for Kendrick as it is for other people to understand what Kendrick is actually experiencing. Okay. And so, so Kendrick's, ex- I don't think that, but Kendrick's experience is, a, is going to be, um, fired, you know, fueled by that trauma and might make him to react emotionally aggressively or, or rather excessively. Right. Well, I, I think that the fact that Kendrick can articulate it, I think the fact that Kendrick's alive uh, today would show us that Kendrick has a certain amount of coping strategies, a coping capacity to actually deal with it. I think the bigger issue would be where others understand and could connect the dots and, and put on Kendrick's shoes. Okay. 
So, so how should you? And so, where should you and I take this conversation from here? How how do you and I help move this <laughs> the moment forward? I don't know how to describe the moment even anymore. It's like, how do how do we help? Well, well, <laughs> well Doctor Dr. Drew, we're doing it. Okay. We're actually doing it. Everyone talks about the courageous conversation. Look at the things that we're talking about right now. I mean, and there was a time where you said, you may not agree with me, and you said it anyway. Well, guess what? It's not about agreement as much as it is about learning and about insight. So I think another issue goes with regards to people taking things more personally than seriously. Everybody's carrying something. Are are you seeing... Whoops, guys, our Skype just kind of blew up on us here. Oh. Hackers are taking down yeah, cell towers right now. Oh, interesting. Yeah, are we up and running? Are you guys on mic? Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, yeah, he's good. No, the phone, you okay. said the the call-in studio went down? I did not say that. It was... Uh, it was uh, poor Dr. Brown kind of broke up on Skype there. I think I got you back, Dr. No, Brown. No, he's not on Skype. Well, on Zoom, whatever, whatever's going on here. He's on VMix. VMix, I, I beg your pardon. Oh, okay. I thought you said our Skype went down. No, 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 no. Dr. Brown froze up and he's back now. Caleb, so fin finish, repeat what you said there. Just we, I want to get that all <laughs> together. Go ahead, Dr. Brown. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I was, it would be important for us to put on Kendrick shoes. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I think that's imperative is that I, I think the fact that he is surviving and, and, and more or less thriving would show that he has the coping capacity and strategies to deal with what's happening around us. I think what will fuel his trauma would be the dismissal mm. of it. So that's not an issue for Kendrick. That's an issue to help those understand. And, and Kendrick's issue isn't, an isolated issue right it, it's an issue for black and brown populations everywhere right and, and if he were being dis and, and, go, go ahead oh i'm sorry and you had asked me dr drew what what do we do from here yeah the fact that you are having this discussion speaks volumes the fact that we're role modeling what how to have a discussion of this magnitude as you said you haven't heard anyone talk about reconstruction, and neither have I. <laughs> Yet we're talking about it. Good. And as painful as it is, we're we're talking about it. We're, I mean, and 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 we didn't have any uh, well, let's, preconceived notions of what. Do we do? Hey, listen, I got an interesting idea. Let, let's each of us talk about our personal feelings about this conversation because I bet they're very different. For instance, my feeling is shame and embarrassment, right? I, I'm ashamed. I'm. 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 I'm embarrassed that that I didn't know more about this my entire life, and I'm ashamed that the country did this. Right. So those are the feelings I have. What feelings okay. do you have? Well, the feelings I have, I'm hurt, Doctor Drew. I'm hurt, not with regards to necessarily what I know about the situation. I grew up in a household that was social justice advocates. I'm hurt for my children. I'm hurt for my grandchildren. I'm, I'm, I'm hurt because I know what I attempt to do 
And I, and I attempt to do it through love, light, and insight. As cliche as it may sound, you know, I could also do it, you know, in a different way, but yeah. I choose love and light and insight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm hurt. I'm, I'm hurt by the history, but I'm, I think I'm more hurt today by the endurance of that history. The, when I say the endurance, the perpetuation that if I don't talk about it, it didn't exist. It didn't happen for a lot of people. So, so I want to stop so, you. I, that, I want to stop you because because now my feelings shifted, right? Now I, now I have a totally different set of feelings, which is I'm sad too. I'm sad that I can't do anything to help you. I'm again, and then I feel weird and embarrassed that 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 I have to even you know say that I didn't know about this. But I'm but I'm sad that you're hurt. And if we all could sort of find that common spot, maybe we could find a common healing, right? I mean, it's it's right. terribly terribly yeah. disturbing that to hear that you have to feel that way. Right, and I get it. You get it. But it's also important to understand that we didn't contribute to that history 400 years ago. You nor I. We're contributing. You, exactly. That's right. And yet we're How, having all these feelings exactly. now that, that, that most people are. <laughs> exactly. Everybody else is ignoring <laughs> and just letting this spirit exactly. prevail. You know, and, and, and exactly. It, it feels like this now is going to sound squishy, too, which is like you, we have to open our hearts. We have to speak heart to heart about this right yeah. that's my language okay and, that's, and, that's my language and, and that's the another part that's another blind spot that everyone kind of misses but but you have to get past the shame and embarrassment which is not exactly fun right uh because well, well, it's you know, easy God, to go it's easy here's the easy move that i could have made as as a white person i could have gone hey, hey my parents came from my grandparents came from belarus in 1910 what, what do i have to do with this and and i understand the <laughs> right. argument aside from, i understand that they came here to a world right. that was benefiting from what had happened prior to that i get it exactly um but it's an easy move when you're feeling shame and embarrassed it's an easy thing to sort right. of push but, it you off. know going going back to the implicit bias that we talked about earlier yeah what we what we don't do a good job of, Doctor Drew, is we don't do a good job of protecting our mouths from our brains. And when I say that, everyone has implicit bias. It's not a one way street. Everybody yeah, yeah, all has implicit brains. bias. All human brains, right? All exactly. human brains. All bra exactly. Don't, don't don't think that you <laughs> you are both Doctor Brown and I have it somewhere. And right. part of implicit bias is you don't see it. You don't get to see it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So so with that said. It's also important to say the fact that not every racist statement comes from a racist. Right. Keep going. That's a, that's a different side. That of is. Equation. Keep going. It's a blind spot. Go ahead. Keep going. So, so, exactly. So, again, it goes back to critical thinking. It goes back to the mental health definition of maturity, being able to separate your emotions from your thinking. How often do we really do that? Well, today, I mean, my God, you're actually you're <laughs> actually disdained for doing that, right? I mean, social media, you're exactly. rewarded for being as emotionally hysterical exactly. as you can possibly be, and 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 that's the that's exactly. you know as we talk here, that that's the part I'm trying to wonder how we as you know people with some mental health background can push this thing in a healthier direction. And you last time we talked, you said critical thought, and I, and I could not agree more that critical reasoning is is largely absent right now but that's a hard thing to get people to do brains don't normally do that and you you, right. you were that's you right. were talking Practice. you were talking earlier about essentially let's see 
how not to have to think. I wrote your words down. I thought that was a great that, that to me that was a new. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a new way of thinking about Daniel Kahneman's thinking fast, thinking slow. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and, and it, it, yes, in adding. Go ahead. In adding the phrase, "Don't believe everything you think." Right, right, and and so we're saying think slow. We're saying you don't believe necessarily what you think, and and by the way, we in my field, which is addiction, we call it stinking thinking because it just it it causes. I know people, a lot about thinking. Yeah, yeah, it causes people to do horrible things all the time. Bad thinking, and that's right. Don't don't even start right. with psychotic Ooh. illness, right? Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> nice. So that's my my stinking being. <laughs> so we we, I still though. If we were to go on Twitter, I'm looking at the restream right now, seeing how people are sort of taking our conversation. Uh, and some people are, some people like it, and some people are sort of spinning, you know, spinning in ways that I don't think is productive. Not not horrible. People aren't being horrible. Um, but, I, but I'm not sure we're but getting... But even if they are. Say it again. But, but, but even if they are, Dr. Drew... Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. They're listening. And, and I believe, as my grandfather, the farmer, believed, I want every seed that I plant to grow optimistically. But realistically, I know that some won't grow right now, won't grow yet. So I, I, I'm very optimistic about our conversations and the work we do, they're, they're regardless even, they're, of the feedback we get. The feedback, they're even setting me straight on what I'm calling this thing I'm looking at. It's a chat, not a restream. Okay, guys, thank you. So I get it. Natalie thinks Dr. Brown is cute. Oh, we're getting good, good feedback on you, though, Dr. Brown. We're getting good, good, good uh, vibes coming in. But how about clinically right now? Are you seeing any trends, anything that worry you? Are you having any success in certain areas You know, when the doors are closed? Well, well you know what, Dr. Drew? Um, I, I'm not embarrassed to say this, but... Years ago, I found that coaching, in my opinion, was a little bit more effective than therapy. Um, the, the philosophy I have with therapy, I was pulling, and in coaching, I'm pushing. Mm -hmm. So I'm doing more coaching today, um, whereby I'm not allowing people to uh, stay stuck in uh, too much of their past. Good. And, and I guess in and, and the trends I'm seeing pretty much uh, – and, and this is more of a self-reflection for me. Please. Based on, based on where I'm from, based on what I've been through in my life, um, I'm not as tolerant of excuses as most. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm um, about accountability. I'm about taking responsibility. So I would say over the years, if, if there's anything that I've seen, I've seen less and less of accountability, uh, people taking accountability, owning uh, the things that they've done, as, a, as opposed to projecting them onto a spouse, children, or whatever. A lot of projection. A lot of projection these days. I've noticed that, too. A lot of people projecting their feelings and saying that they belong to somebody else. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's also not empathy, by the way. The opposite of empathy. Um, how did you, if you don't mind your, your personal story, how did you come yeah. to accountability? Or did you? Have you always been that way? No. Um, mom and dad divorced when I was two. Um older sibling i left my, left my mother with five children my older sibling and only brother oscar was murdered when i was 11. so i was that student 
in public education with one foot in gifted education and one foot in alternative education. Wow. Um, it wasn't so, um, inner city projects, but I was able to have a respite with some really good teachers, really great school librarians. When I got in trouble in school early on, I was sent to the library. So meeting my wife at the college of William and Mary, she's from New York. I'm from Virginia. She wanted all these fancy things, granite <laughs> countertops and et cetera. I knew nothing about it. All I wanted is what you see behind me, my library. So my grandfather t- told me early on that there were three ways to get smarter. He said, read, read, read. And, uh, that's part of what did it for me. I saw that the world was bigger. I saw that people are different. Um, I saw that the conclusions were always different and no one wrote my conclusion. They allowed me to have my own conclusion of my story. Do you know who else uh, had a very similar um, philosophy that I, that I got to share a podium with and was deeply affected by was uh, Antoine Fisher. Do you know his story? Do you know Antoine? Have you met him? Jill Stan- what, what's that? Yes. Yeah. Yes. An, an amazing dude. I've met him. An amazing dude, an amazing story. And if anyone out there wants one of the best speakers you could possibly have, just have Antoine stand up and tell his story. <laughs> you'll, you'll, it, it'll, it'll affect everybody in the room. It can't not. Um, but, um, you know, again, it was an empathic psychiatrist that broke him out of that pattern, right? Uh, of trouble. Right. Uh, and, and let me, I'm going to give a quick pitch for therapy. Um, because for me, therapy was very important, but I had a different issue. I didn't have a robust connection between my primary emotions and, and my secondary understanding of emotions. So I was sort of disconnected emotionally, and therapy can really help with that. Um, yes. That, that was for, for me. So, it, so I, I think to sort of refine both of our positions, I think it would be probably more accurate to say the right treatment for the right patient. Uh, and, and also the right Definitely. professional too. I mean, you're an excellent, uh, <laughs> right? I mean, you're an excellent coach. That should be yeah, where oh, you put your time. Oh, oh. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I've, I've been into performance coaching. That's what I'm into now. But I started off as a psychoanalytic <laughs> psychotherapist. Wow. You, know, Psycho- you were a psychoanalyst. That's, my- That's crazy. Yes. That is fantastic. I am. I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm jealous. That is so much training, man. You had a lot of training, <laughs> a lot of training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get it. No, I get. It. I read your. I read your uh, biography bio, and I was like, oh boy, that is a lot of training. So, uh, and I and I'm jealous well, of analysts because they've been um, dancing around in that material. It seems so interesting to me. But yes, its clinical utility is quite limited. Quite limited, right? Well, well I tell you, Doctor Drew, the, the fact that we we're talking personally. You know, I tell students all the time, young people especially, I tell them I'm so successful because I failed so much. Hmm. I tell adults that I'm successful because I use success as my coping strategy. And that was my coping strategy, to check things off. I, I was checking off being a young, tenured, full professor. I checked it off, and I'm, I'm checking it. it off. I don't think that's exactly. uncommon. I think that's, I think that's kind of common. I think a lot of, a lot of men yeah. do that particularly, right? It's how, it's how yeah. we develop our and 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 to be fair, I think I do the same thing, and I and I think it started from needing a place in the world, like be something in the world, yes. yeah, and then you kind of get exactly, and you kind of like that, <laughs> so it keeps going. <laughs> it keeps <laughs> well, well people people reinforce that, <laughs> right? And you, you took it to an extreme place. Let's be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Clear, the the great news is I the great news is about that kind of training. I bet none of it goes unused every day. I mean, I get I bet it all gets oh, used yeah. all the time every day. Yeah. You know, I, I'm able to give it back 
And I'm out of my comfort zone when I give it back, Dr. Drew. I'm an introvert. I'm a classic introvert. Mm. Um, I, I, I don't get my energy from the thousands of people that I get to address on a weekly basis. I get my energy alone, reading. So um, Interesting. That, that, you know, I, I love research. I get it. I, I get it. And somebody's asking about positive psychology. Are you using any of that philosophy in what you're doing? Yes, definitely, definitely. I, um, when I talk about positive psychology, my greatest reference is uh, a book called The Happiness Advantage, which postulates that it's not uh, um, the things that give us happiness as much as it is the predisposition of happiness that you have to attract those things. Mm-hmm. And I'm checking who that author is. That is uh, Stephen Anker, right? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, you're correct. All right. I think I, I think I have this book. I recognize that I recognize that uh, cover with the yellow smiley face. Uh, and uh, Seligman is that the the father of positive psychology? Yes. Yeah. Yes, Seligman. Uh, I, I've heard him speak a number of times. Martin Seligman, right? Am I remembering it correctly? Yes. And uh, it, it's interesting. Um, these are all just tools. These are just ways of looking at things and ways of helping people. Well, listen, I, I, I knew this would be a great conversation. I, I, it, it, you know, back to psychotherapy, and you, mm, I, I'm going to say your, your psychoanalytic heritage gives you a, a immediate ability to hold people. You know what I'm saying? Hold in yeah. a safe space. Yeah. And, and I feel like yeah. you've been holding me there right now. So you do that automatically, and I appreciate that very much. Uh, and as a result of this holding environment that you very naturally create, I feel like we've been able to have a little conversation here that I hope others will benefit from. It's helped me. It helped Thank me because I, cool. I, I moved from my embarrassment and shame into my sadness for the sadness that you're feeling, which is empathy. Right? That's right. Yeah, that's, that's, a big, right. that's kind of a big deal. Uh, and, yeah. and, I've, and I've always known we needed to come from our hearts. We needed to open our hearts and walk in, walk into each other's worlds, literally, uh, without fear, just with an, well, there's going to be some anxiety, of course, but well, just keep your heart exactly. open. I'd like to also add, Dr. Drew, and as we conclude, one of my greatest mentors and professor, train, um, my supervisor, Dr. Mike Nichols, um, wrote a book, and his book is called The Lost Art of Listening. I think that would be a tremendous read for such a time as this. Lost Art of Listening. And, and as it pertains to listening, I always tell people, listening with your ears is part of listening. <laughs> but you have to learn to listen with your whole body and your being and read your reactions yeah. and listen to your reactions and listen to your, your body's reaction to other yeah. people. And we barely even hear each other. We barely use our ears, right? That's right. It's crazy. That's right. Uh, people are asking also, I, I want to, oh, somebody read that book. Great. Natalie read it. Um, uh, did you see the Dave Chappelle special, his latest one, where he was a little, I did. and they're wondering what you thought about that. I have not seen it. Well, I've not seen um, it yet. I will, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I, I know Dave Chappelle, and Dave Chappelle is known as a comedian. But Dave Chappelle is one of the most brilliant yeah, uh, clearly. individuals to ever to sit down and have a conversation with. I felt like he wanted to release. I, I don't feel like it was 
uh, a comedy special in any means. I think he might have had, you know, some, you know, comedy exists from ha- saying unexpected things. <laughs> right, so right. Um, I think well, he he's so few, clever. He's, he's so clever. He's going to say <laughs> funny stuff, right? No matter what. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But I, I think it was this, uh, I think it was a catharsis for him. And I, I think he knew that others felt the same way. Many feel the same way. So that's what it was. In my, in my opinion. And, and again, it's for, for those of you that have not had a shared experience like uh, Dave Chappelle's, listen carefully. You got to listen very carefully. This is, this is back to this listening issue. If you, if you stay too deep in your experience, this is not moving forward. You got, you've got to take on that of others. Uh, people were asking, oh, did I hang up on the restream by accident? I did. Um, people are asking first, don't worry, I just I just signed out by accident. Um, the two books we're talking about, the happiness book is called The Happiness Advantage, The Happiness Advantage, and the listening book we are talking about is The Lost Art of Listening. Uh, and there we go. What's, uh, what's up for you? Speaking anywhere? Can people find you specific places? Yes, every day I'm doing multiple virtuals for corporations and educational institutions around the world. Um, I can be found at docspeaks.com. That's what I do personally. Um, I work for uh, my wife, <laughs> who owns uh, the Business and Education Leadership Authority. Nice. So, Excellent. but docspeaks is where you can find me. Well, please, I've been looking, trying to find a way to be useful in all of this. I've been sort of powerless and afraid, and uh, uh, this has felt different for me. So if there's anything I can do to help support you're doing what you're doing or whatever, uh, please well, please call on me. Uh, I would love to do something like Dr. that. Dr. Drew, I, I'm one of your biggest fans. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I think our background is very similar. I was a love doctor here in uh, the Hampton Roads, Tidewater area of Virginia Beach for years on the rodeo. Fantastic. <laughs> wow. well, yeah, well, so you did all that. Oh, yeah. So that that's its own kind of education. And, and again, exactly. speaking of listening, right? You with that experience of listening on the radio, you have to like you you have to listen to you know how you react to just the voice. It's incredible. That's an incredible that's training. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, Mister Love Doctor, thank you for sharing your time with us. <laughs> and uh, and I again recommend Last Art of Listening, Happiness Advantage, uh, Antoine Fisher's book. If you guys can, I don't forget what it's called. It's uh, phenomenal. Uh, and uh, again, if there's anything we can do to keep moving this thing forward, let's uh, all look to do so. And uh, I'm at your service. Uh, Dr. Brown, thanks so much for joining Thank us. You. All right. Take Thank care. you. I take appreciate care. it. You bet. Uh, okay. So I'm going to do a little bit of COVID stuff for you guys because we had some updates at the University of Washington. Uh, I don't know if you quietly noticed this, but they very quietly upped their total death expectation to 201,000. And I didn't see the press report that. Um, So we are getting used to the idea that this virus is going to cause hundreds of thousands of deaths. Uh, For the first time, that did not cause uh, headlines, which I find fascinating. Uh, And uh, it also showed us, whoops, I'm going to try to get some, hmm, why can't I get this data to come through? Uh, the daily death rate in this country is just stable and not changing. And let's remind ourselves, it's about six, 700 a day. Let's remind ourselves that a stable pattern is better than a complete resolution and then massive uptick. We are generally at about 20,000 cases a day, and that is really not changing. 
uh, and the hospital resources are being easily met, which was the reason for flattening the curve. Like we said with Alex a little while ago, flattening the curve just means stretching out the total number of cases and deaths over a longer period of time, but it doesn't change the total number of cases and total numbers of deaths. Um, I've been looking at some of the state-specific data, and I don't yet see a trend. I do see an uptick. There is an uptick, as there has to have been, uh, for two reasons. People were out on top of each other in massive demonstrations. Has to be some uptick from that. And at these demonstrations and following, there was a big increase in testing. People worried about themselves a little bit. But even in these, uh, I'm looking at the University of Washington model still, uh, even with the current uh, Data that includes the last two and a half weeks of demonstrations, there is no significant uptick in the summer in hospital utilization. Now, they've got this kind of weird uptick going on in the fall, and I'm assuming that's an assumption that there is a second wave. Uh, I don't know why they're assuming the second wave will be a little bigger than the first wave rather than not just a consistent first wave. There's, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, an epidemiologist I was reading who was saying that a steady first wave that does not have a spike and then a drop is superior in that the spike and drop is influenza behavior and that's always followed in the new season in the fall by another spike and drop. While a virus that we are coexisting with, kind of like a cold virus, which is what coronaviruses are, is just gonna continue at the same level and do its thing until we get these vaccines uh, initiated. And uh, if anybody, uh, Andrew, I've not been watching the Restream chat very uh, regularly. Andrew, I saw your stuff in there early. But if I'm looking for somebody to help me get in a phase three clinical trial, I did go on to the CDC, uh, the NIH website and saw that if I lived in Bethesda or Seattle or Washington, D.C., I could get into a phase one trial which I'm not so interested in. Phase one trial sounds a little bit scarier. That you might be too old. Uh, no, no, that one was for older adults. That one that one specific is for older adults. What I was worried about, the phase three, I might be too old for. Or too old. Uh, I might be, but I would love if somebody can tell me. Well, there's where Andrew's in there somewhere because somebody's talking to him. Pa Poppy, Pappy's talking to him. Um, if there's any way I can get in the phase three trial for the Moderna vaccine, I am all in. Andrew's, Andrew is Drew's BFF. I know Andrew's been a good source of information. I appreciate that very much. I really do because I'm out, otherwise I'm out here by myself, and it's it's well, and it's colleagues that really enhance your. Hey, what about me? No, no, you you're the reason we're here, but it, it's colleagues that that and conversation with colleagues that helps uh, expand knowledge. Uh, 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 Those were two great guests. We don't have a ton of calls. We have a couple, you know, but well, apparently we didn't have we don't have calls. Um, well, just I think. This was a really entertaining podcast, and people were really listening. It's, it's you know, it's hard to think of good questions when you're really listening. Well, apparently the phone lines are down, right? Because there were some hackers well, that took down the phone lines. No, I don't know. I don't know if I believe. Uh, University of Chicago, Illinois, is going phase three with a Moderna vaccine or their own vaccine? Because there's every month there's a new vaccine getting. Uh, uh, rolled out. Well, let me take a call on PTSD as long as we're talking about trauma and PTSD. Uh, this is Christine. Hi, Christine. Hi, Dr. Drew. Hey there. How are you? Good. What's up? Um, I have my, uh, wow. I'm nervous and I'm thankful for you. You've helped me for over a year and a half now. You did a cameo for me when I was at the peak of my suicide oh. um, and um, anyways I just want to ask a person with severe PTSD 
and addictive qualities? How do they how do they maintain balance? Right, it's hard. So so first order businesses manage the addiction, right? And and as you know, we manage addiction primarily with community and support. Yeah, but I don't I'm not addicted I'm not addicted to it's bizarre. I'm addicted to helping people. It's like I feel like I have to save the world. So it's sort of uh, and, 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 and and has your self esteem. How's your self esteem? What? How's your self esteem? How's your self esteem? My self-esteem is uh, uh, really good. <laughs> okay. All right, good. Probably because because addicts will too some good. Probably too good. All right. Everybody's telling me I'm a ball hog on the internet. Um, <laughs> Whatever that in is. In the alter reality. All right. Apparently, I'm a problem child and I'm a ball hog. And uh, I don't want to be that way. I want to be a team. And um, I just... Well, anyways, I just... I'm afraid of our, I'm 50-50. I'm half petrified of our government, and I'm half, you know, brave, or courage is different than bravery. Um, I want to fix the system, Western medicine, the whole thing, and I, and I feel I have all the information to do that, but of right. course I'm petrified to do it because I feel like they're going to sabotage me. All right, so so let's 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 get back to the PTSD, um, uh, and maybe in the same breath we'll talk about fixing fixing a system. You can't do it alone. You can't go it alone. This is the one universal truth of addiction, PTSD, and if you want to fix the system, you're going to need to have a lot of people working with you. So, and you asked about balance. I mean, it's imbalance to insist on c- controlling and, you know, fixing the entire world, right? That's excessive. That's grandiose. But you can certainly work with other people to try to improve the situation. So in terms of balance with PTSD, addictive potential, and this desire to, to, to help, uh, it's about spending time with other people. And I don't just mean in giant gatherings. I mean quiet time, listening to each other. And therapy can be part of that as well, but it's a it's again back to what I was saying about addiction is it's about community, it's about fellowship, it's about shared experiences, people who've been where you've been, and uh, helping create those that balance and those bonds and that regulation, and then together you can do some interesting things. Uh, Are there PTSD groups? There are support groups out there, uh, not well, I mean, you know, there are groups like for military and PTSD, right? Uh, And, and again, it's groups are a great place to go for PTSD, because people don't feel understood, uh, unless you're around somebody else who's been through the kinds of traumas that you've been through, but it's not exclusively what needs to be done. Some individual therapy is very, very important. Uh, let me look through the chat for a second. Thank you, Christine. Appreciate that call. And just think about the fact that I, just a message from me help you in a, regulate your suicidal kind of feeling. That's Use that as a model for regulating your emotions generally. Is that other people are what help us do that. And uh, people are saying they love you even as ball hog. Flora May says we love a ball hog. So there you go. Uh, let's see. Uh, Barbara's self-esteem has been down. I, I don't think self is, low self-esteem is a bad thing, by the way. I think it helps you improve and look for responsibility and things. It just feels bad. That's the problem with it. Um, I am looking through your chat questions. Hang on one second. Uh, 
Uh, yes, uh, Andrew, I agree. The FDA announced today that hydroxychloroquine had confusing data, which is true. Uh, Alex, Secretary Azar with the HHS said basically it does not work late in the disease. I, uh, I think most doctors would completely agree with that. That it probably works early in the disease. It probably has some prophylactic effect. Not great. It's not a great medicine. But it uh, definitely it does not work late. I would agree with that. And that's been my experience too, by the way. Um, thank you, Andrew. It's always good information. Uh, what did I think about uh, Sam Harris's podcast? Leslie saying that. Um, I, I think he, he, what, I, what I was interested in people's uh, assessment of it, I mean, it was a courageous podcast. It was looking at a lot of data that people don't want to talk about. But it missed exactly what Dr. Brown and I were talking about. See that it, it just it had a blind spot right there, and and it it troubled me that he he couldn't quite do that, um, because if he had done had the conversation or the talked about the material we just talked about, then you could have contextualized all the things he was saying much better, and I think he's going to probably get excoriated for what he did say, even though it was an interesting, thoughtful, well-meaning um, conversation, and again. Uh, per Dr. Brown today, we all need to have these conversations. We don't have to agree with everything people are saying, but we have to we have to think about these things. But uh, Andy, don't you agree that he had a blind spot on these issues that we were just talking about? And if you don't really see and empathize with these things, you you, you miss it. You you miss some of the important stuff, and it makes me uncomfortable when I hear people analyzing data that misses this. It 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 does it. it I can imagine how an African-American would feel. It, it misses the point entirely. So there you go. Uh, okay, guys, I think we're about uh, at the end here. Do you guys agree with me? Are we about where we need to be? And I got to do Fox 11 with Alex Michelson in a few minutes. I don't know what we are talking about today because they, they did not send me uh, any information, which they normally send me a little rundown. I don't know. Let me, let me uh, see if I can find out what we're talking about. Also, be sure to support our sponsors. Go to drdew.com slash trueniagen and get a discount with code word DREW. And uh, don't forget the uh, 8664 Red Hawk for the... Uh, now, for what's available the, at that number? At that number is the, the sand... I believe you can get the sand minis. You can buy that online. I, n- I know no you can sharks. get the uh, thermometers. When they're in cool. stock. I think they they're sold in stock. Oh, they are? Okay. Uh, and you can get a the UV lights, what which is, are very what exciting. What does that say on the side of that? Uh, Burcom, B-E-R-R-C-O-M. Okay, I think you can get that online, too, if you go to Red Hawk. I think you get a discount if you go to for, uh, the phone number, 8664. And, oh, I forgot a part. They told me today, they said, um, if they don't pick up, leave a message, they will call you back. What is it, 866-4-RED-HAWK, R-E-D-H-A-W-K. I, I can't remember that. But, but I'll tell you what, um, the more the really exciting instruments that you can get there are the, the UV lights. Uh, I've got one of them on, my, on the way to me right now. They have both UV lights you can set up in a room that will sterilize a room, but also these handhelds you can you can go into a car like an Uber or a taxi and sterilize your seat. That is a big deal. <coughs> that's how that's how you and I are going to survive in New York City, Susan. Plus, does it I, also show where the where the virus is when you turn the UV on? No, 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 no. It's, it's not like it, a it's black thera- light. It's therapeutic. It it's to it's to destroy the viruses on surfaces. You just run this. You run wave this over your driver's you, head and no, 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 no. <laughs> it's not for surfaces. It's, it's not healthy to be on people, but it's for surfaces. So um, look into that. Eight six six four Red Hawk. We appreciate that. Thank you, Caleb, for producing and uh, engineering today. Thank you, Susan, again. Thank you for getting me uh, 
Dr. Uh, Brown. I really enjoyed talking to him. And, and Alex is always very interesting. Um, it's it's interesting to hear a journalist uh, give a realistic assessment of journalistic behavior today because it's it's bad. It's really pro- kind of problematic. Uh, anything from you guys? Anything else we need to review before I um, move on here? Let me I'm see. I'm having a show this week. Oh, yeah. Calling out with Susan Pinsky on Wednesday after our show with Tyrus, Dose of Dr. Drew. Do- oh, yeah, Tyrus here Tyrus on Wednesday. Tyrus is a weekly show and working on uh, your NAD doctor. And hopefully, we'll see who comes up tomorrow. Things always come up very last minute. And we should uh, have some. And or we'll just talk to you. Oh, and tomorrow we're in here, right? You and I? Yes. Uh, in here about 3 p.m. Pacific. 3 o'clock, exactly. Oh, boy. No guests yet, but we moved the uh, the call to 2.30. Dec- so I'll do that at 2.30. Okay, yes. great. All That's right. what I was asking about. I had no idea what you're talking P. about. And also make sure you go and check out drdrew.com for all the other podcasts. Yeah, you may want to. The, the next couple of After Dark episodes, uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> um, this week, yeah, this is the coming. We're not the right, not what's up right now, but what's coming up next week. This week is long and pointy. So that's yeah, number seven. The next, I, I mean, just wow. So number 71. I don't know if you noticed, I, I talked to Christine at length about this, Susan, but do you notice the first time I went on your mom's house, Tom was the one delivering all the, right. the, I mean, he just was like destroying me with horrible things. Essentially me watching people getting killed as far as I was concerned. Right, right. And Christine in the background was like, Lily apologetically, is it okay? No, no, no. Now she just hammers me over the head worse <laughs> than Tom ever did. So we got into that a little bit this week. I so. was supposed to go on her show this week, but I was preempted. So I'm going next week. Oh, she's um, making a list and I checking it why. twice. I don't know who is more important than no, me. Well, she knows she can get you. Uh, Anytime. Yeah. How dare you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, now we have. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Okay, you guys, we have to wrap things up. I'm sorry, as always, that I don't get to all the calls. Uh, Andrew Ashkazvili, please see if you can get me in a phase three trial for uh, the Moderna vaccine. That's the one I... Maybe we should uh, have him on the show. He can co-host. Sure. Yeah, he can come, <laughs> he can come in and, and give some information. He said his name like six times. Well, the Laurent Larab stuff is coming in and he's uh, he's up on that and he can maybe give us some insight into he's that. He's working uh, on He's working for us. Is Yeah, so that'll be very interesting. And Let's see. Javier is saying the University of Model, University of Washington models have California having a bigger wave than ever in October. Uh, yes, uh, I, I noticed that, and I think that may be just a, a sort of a, a glitch. I, I think they, they would even they would say they can't make predictions that far out, and that's why I said if things just stay low and level, it's going to continue low and level. If if it goes up, peaks, and crashes down to zero, that's when you'll see that October spike again. I, we are changing our behavior. Uh, we are, you know, everything Everything is being um, adjusted so we don't transmit this thing, except for the demonstrations. And as you see, outdoors, the transmission rate is very, very, very low. Uh, somebody else, Andrew, Clara wants to get on the vaccine too, so you can get a whole bunch of us onto the phase three trial, hopefully. And we'll all do it, I'll do it for free, personally. I, I want to be part of the, uh, part of the moving, moving the, uh, biochemistry forward the 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 biotech forward all right thank you very much and uh, we will see you tomorrow around three o'clock ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky this is just a reminder that the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care or medical evaluation this is purely for educational and entertainment purposes 
I'm a licensed physician with over 35 years of experience, but this is not a replacement for your personal physician, nor is it medical care. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, anytime, 24-7, for free support and guidance. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help.